and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where we gather around a table and we discuss the films that will never come up in a film studies course. Unless you took a musical-specific course, I believe that would definitely be the case with this week's film, Little Shop of Horrors. It is all about uh, Hobby Lobby and how you get the craft herpes of glitter all over you and you can never get rid of it. It is a shop of horrors, I tell you. Or maybe about a uh, plant from outer space. You got a point there about the craft glitter, though. I mean, look, I, I, I like crafts as much as the next person. But damn, glitter just gets everywhere. It is the word. And you can't it's eat true. You have it for life. It's annoying. It, yeah, you will never be free of it. If, if you Crafters out there, if you go down that dark hole, there's no coming back. You when know, you stare into that abyss, it also gazes back. If you want to get into the big monomyths, I'm just saying, the most crafty of all the beasts of the field was the serpent. I'm just saying. Wait, is glitter the serpent <laughs> in the scenario? Is it a glitter serpent? Because now I'm back on board. I think uh, glitter is the intractability of original sin. Okay. Uh, look, but just because it's Easter... <laughs> Let's stay on target here. Okay. How, now, uh, before we get too into it, Dustin, what, what is the likelihood this would come up in a, a film studies course for musicals, though? I was, I was thinking about that. I would, I'm thinking pretty slim to none. I mean, it would be one of those things if the particular professor was interested in this movie for some reason. But yeah, it was like a, a real Roger Corman fan and liked uh, yeah. the history of this film or something. Something, right? something along those lines or just happened to be a, you know, a, a you know, Gen Xer that just loved this movie for some reason. But otherwise, I mean, and that's the thing. There is a certain sort of academic freedom uh, that instructors have where they can play around with the canon. And this is a movie that is a playable, I suppose, but in a standard syllabus, I don't think you'd find this. You'd go Busby Berkeley musicals, and once you got into the 80s and musicals, you'd be doing something by Roger Waters, likely. Or That's kind of what yeah. I was thinking. Yeah, uh, well... And we'll talk about that next week. We, we've got one that might be a little bit more likely. but uh, I was going to say, it's probably going to be that one instead of this. Yeah, but even that's still a little bit heavy camp. But we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, so I, I would say this one's definitely on the outs, though. So uh, there you go. Let's go ahead and identify these disembodied voices telling you about uh, alien plants from outer space. Who are you, sir, in the recliner? Hello there. My name is Dalton Stewart. And Dustin, it's always been your pet professionalism that I respect. That's not how you say that word. <laughs> my, my professionalism it's always been your professional we don't expect much out of you uh, well, yeah, well you guys don't expect uh, professionalism from me and that's true as a professional i'll not make fun of you moving right on uh, who are you sir i am arthur gordon and what kind of a professional drives a motorcycle and wears a black leather jacket <laughs> well I, <laughs> wait, wait, well that's an interesting question hey I, hey arthur Get off my case, man. Hey, buddy. <laughs> oh, man. And hey, brother. Hey, my buddy. name is Dustin Sells, and I'm a mean green mother from outer space, and I'm ready to bring you this podcast explains today. explains a lot. It's, yeah, I knew you were going to do that one. Yeah, well, That's I why better, I didn't do it. Someday I'll be a dentist was also <laughs> very, very high on my list. Uh, so we're going to be talking about this great little film, uh, Frank Oz from uh, Sesame Street and the Muppets fame, also Yoda's voice and puppeteer. So uh, is it a director of this film and lots of cameos but lots of great directors we're going to warn you though dear listener as we begin our conversation about this film that this is a re analysis show not a review show and that means that there will be spoilers and we'll talk about the ending and the multiple endings of this film but we're going to give you a brief reprieve we'll have a synopsis from the voice of the cinema and then we'll have our quick thumbs up thumbs down reviews which will be spoiler free we'll play a game which might involve a mild spoiler or two of this film or some film in its orbit and then when we get down to business all spoiler bets are off. So, thus and therefore, you have been warned. Mr. Arthur Gordon, 
voice of the cinema. Let's hear that synopsis, please. A nerdy florist finds his chance for success and romance with the help of a giant man-eating plant who demands to be fed. I was at a carnival show when they had a giant man-eating plant behind the window, uh, the curtain. You went in, you paid dollars uh, to go in, and then you saw a man eating a salad. It was uh, <laughs> very, very disappointing. <laughs> and uh, so here we go. We're going to – that's a Bazinga. little rascals kind of joke right there. <laughs> yeah. uh, giant man-eating chicken. Yeah. All right. Uh, so here we go. Uh, we're going to do this thing talking about this film. I'm excited to hear your first initial reactions because I believe both of you have not seen this film at all, right? I've seen it. I think I might have seen seen bits and pieces of it before, but this was definitely the first time I sat down and watched it start to finish. Well, yeah. I've, I've only ever seen it once, and it was a long time ago when I was a child. So uh, I'm excited to hear what you say. Uh, adult, why don't you go ahead and go first? A thumbs up, thumbs down review of Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors is one of those films, and we are going to talk about it, that uh, the film itself is constantly fighting against uh, some of the issues that the film has, uh, just kind of on a thematic level. Um, How well does it navigate and manage tone, right? Uh, And that's something we're probably going to talk about a lot. But in terms of the craft itself, I really like the film. Uh, I think the music is great. The songs are toe-tappers. Man, uh, you've you've got some good... Some some good. What do I want? Songs. Some some good. I love you. Songs. Uh, I, I don't know the musical uh, lingo because I know there are names for all these kinds yeah. of songs. Uh, the the big production numbers are good. The the villain has two great songs. I mean, this is just well. Both villains have great songs. I mean, it's it is just full of toe tappers. Uh, the production design is really great. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of. In I like using the early 60s as a place to set camp. I don't know why that late 50s, early 60s, it's worked in a lot of films. It works in a film we're going to talk about next week. It works in Greece. Um, It is well-trod territory for both musicals and camp, and often that is a Venn diagram that looks a lot like a circle. Um, And that that 60s aesthetic is great because you get get a, a very specific kind of nerd archetype that frankly does not exist anymore. That archetype has turned into something darker and more evil, and maybe we'll talk about that in analysis. But when you go back to the 60s, you get that kind of character archetype. You've got uh, a greaser. You've got all those these fun archetypes to play with. And again, an aesthetic uh, that when you're doing this kind of rock musical allows you to bring in doo-wop music uh, and a lot of uh, fun early kind of proto rock and roll and R&B uh, sounds that are, that are really fun. And, and again, Frank Oz is... Uh, I, I, is the person to be directing a film that involves a giant plant puppet, uh, a puppet that looks pretty spectacular. Uh, so all around, the craft is great. It's just that as far as tone management, there is a problem, right? There are subplots involving Audrey, the um, uh, the woman who works at the flower shop that Seymour, uh, the botanist slash assistant florist, I guess. Um, he is, is deeply in love with her, and she is getting... A, severely be abused by this dentist played by steve martin and the ways in which the film tries to navigate that subplot are dicey at best and it does really kind of hurt the film and it weighs the film down in, in ways that I, I know we'll talk about later so i am it's kind of a mixed bag for me uh, because of those things all right well thank you very much for that mr dalton what do you say mr arthur gordon thumbs up thumbs down little shop of horrors uh, I'd probably echo Dalton some. Uh, it's it's a slight thumbs up for me. I I do enjoy the music quite a bit. Uh, Ashman and Mankin are 
fantastic here uh, putting this together. And, of course, they would go on to do some great stuff uh, with Disney in the early 90s. And really? Uh, yeah, uh, Little Mermaid and Aladdin, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Get the um, hell out of town. I believe, uh, I believe Ashman passed away before they got to Lion King. Uh, but I think Beauty and the Beast as well. So they're really kind of pivotal uh, in setting that stage with the Golden Age of uh, Disney there. Um, but Rick Moranis is great. Uh, he does a great job, obviously, playing this type of nerd archetype, as Dalton mentioned, uh, because he's just... Something he's his, quite talented yeah, doing. Yeah, uh, we see doing Ghostbusters and, and kind of in his career. Because that's just kind of his look. He's kind of a small guy and kind of squirmy, and he, he excels in that role. Um Alan Green is great as Audrey. Oh, man. Uh, what a voice. Reprising her role from the original off-off-Broadway uh, production of this musical. And she's kind of the pivotal Audrey. I think that's who a lot of people, uh, when they think of this movie or this musical itself, they think of her as in that role. And she does a great job. Um, you know, we get some great cameos with Steve Mar- or Steve Martin's got a you know part, but Bill Murray and John Candy and Belushi, uh, Jim Belushi. Uh, and, and they all have these kind of fun little beats in the film. Bill Murray, I think, steals it in his. Uh, he's great kind of playing counter to Steve Martin. Um, Christopher Guest, the first yeah. uh, person who comes in to see At, Audrey, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, where did you find this in a restaurant? Gee, plant? mister. <laughs> it's a great beat. It's, yeah, it's, it's, good. it's well put together. And there's some fun moments like that throughout. And I, I like the kind of use of this kind of Greek chorus to kind of set the stage. And, and, and like you said, I think setting it in the 50s, 60s uh, works. And I think there's a lot because of just that overly conservative era that lends itself to playing in camp. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. But it's also a great period for music with doo-wop and early rock and, and Motown and things like that. And there's a lot of fun that can be found in those forms of music and, and lends itself to great music. And so uh, I think that all comes together really well. The film itself plays pretty good. Um, as Dalton said, a lot of thematic issues that it, it can't outrun, I don't think. And I wonder, you know, uh, they had to change the ending quite significantly because of test audiences not liking the darker, uh, more dramatic ending, which I would have been more interested to see, I think, rather I think than what we get. That that losing that darker ending costs it a lot of uh, arguments for satire. Yeah. Um, and even if it was satire, I don't know how well that would work. Yeah. But at the very least, I think it's trying to engage with substantive societal issues i think with yeah. that darker ending and we can probably bring that up a little more in the yeah, analysis sure. so we don't get too spoily on it but uh overall uh, it's it's a pleasant watch enjoy watching namely because the music is so catchy and and toe tapping as dalton mentioned and so eh, i'd say a middling positive on it all right well thank you very much for that mr arthur gordon i am also making the caveat that we have to sort of set the thematics aside and uh, if we can bracket that, which is problematic, and sort of just – if I was only going to do an evaluation, are the performances good? The performances are stellar. They are, they are awesome. As a musical, are the songs themselves good and well integrated in the narrative? Yes, they Dynamite. are. Dynamite. Is the production design on point? It absolutely 100 percent is. Um, is the direction itself in the way in which uh, s- s- shot selections are made, the ways in which uh, cuts are made, is that stuff on point? It absolutely is. So it is it – is, uh, you know, as far as craft goes, a very, very well-made film, a very, very well-integrated cinematic depiction of a musical, the production design, everything works together uh, in a way that I think is really, really successful. It does, again, have some problems that we'll get into when we get to analysis. But that being said, as far as it being a movie and as it being an enjoyable movie, I mean, that's the thing, is that the the performances themselves, they are funny, uh, and the, the songs themselves are well-integrated, and they are quite good. That 
so it is an enjoyable watch. It, it is not a movie that I'm ever mad about having watched, and it's a movie that I would watch again. However, that being said, when we get into the, the more thoughtful process of cinema watching, when we move some, from sort of that uh, professional critic eye to more of that scholarly academic sort of approach, that's when we start having lots and lots of issues. So, I, I think even though from that critical eye, if we're just talking about the job of a director being navigating theme and managing tone – I think there are failures here. Yeah. I, okay. I, I would give it that. That maybe its weakest yeah. point. Then. Yeah, I don't even think it. I'm just saying. Yeah. It doesn't criteria. require stepping into that scholarly larger context. Even on a nuts and bolts level, I think there there are issues with the film that that again bog it down and keep it from being the best movie that it could have been. Yeah, I, I was probably fair. But um, maybe I'm just slightly more uh, supportive of the film than you guys are in terms of, again, just its funness, uh, if I'm going to give that as a category of evaluation. So there you go, dear listener. We do like this movie. Uh, we have issues and questions and quibbles that we will deal with more later, but we will get to all of that actually later. But before we move on, though, we need to talk about how you can be part of this conversation with us all via social media. Dalton, Say the thing so they can be part of our conversation. Talk to the plant. How do we talk to the plant? I, I will do the plant talking, as I often do, and I will do it as quickly and efficiently as possible. Dear listener, You're not Dustin, do an Audrey stop two it. Voice? No? Oh, God, no. No. Dustin, I'm not going to do an Audrey 2 voice because I'm a grown-up. And that would be I a know, problem. And I know better. Yeah. Uh, dear listener, if you want to talk to the things like, you know, why if I had done an Audrey 2 voice, that's a bad thing to do. You can let us know. Uh, you can always hit the show with feedback. That's uh, going to be goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com for that longer form feedback, uh, which is what we deserve if we do something silly like that. Um, if you just want to stay up to date with what we're doing, what we're, we're putting out there, if you have just kind of general uh, lineup or scheduling questions, uh, that's going to be on Twitter at good underscore trash or uh, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash GTM, which is much less active than the Twitter. Uh, but Dustin has the alert set up. So if you, you need something, and you don't have Twitter. That's that's fine. You can do that. Uh, but over on Twitter, we have fun. We, you know, we engage uh, in the belly of the beast as best we can. Um, you know, Arthur does fun polls. He and I both share fun analysis from other critics that we really like. We want to look part of this, uh, loving film is supporting other people who love film. And, uh, we want to make sure that, uh, you're getting Arthur in fact shared part of a series for Matt Singer that, uh, he and I have both really been enjoying this kind of retrospective on the Marvel cinematic universe, right? Yeah. Uh, and he's on chapter 11, I think just published that or chapter 12. He just did age of Ultron. Yeah. And that's been just a kind of a joy. Uh, I haven't had time to actually go back and rewatch those as much as I want to, but kind of seeing those in a new perspective all simultaneous, I think is very interesting. He's doing a great job of biting that bullet for everybody. Yeah. Matt Singer is, is one of a handful of critics that I think is really doing some, uh, some heavy lifting legwork on showing why this particular cycle of film is super interesting. Um, and, and why it, uh, exists at that weird nexus of commerce, uh, and giant multinational corporations and an art in a very specific way. So if you want good content like that, you can find it on the Twitter. We're putting that out there all the time for you. Um, if you want to support the show, that's something you're interested in. Um, financially, you can support the show by going to Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash GTM. We have lots of fun rewards. We just sent a Blu-ray copy of Roadhouse to uh, our very own Keith and Lane Smith. Uh, that's the kind of fun things we're going to try to find. Bargain DVDs, uh, bargain Blu-rays. And look, what are we going to do? Not send somebody a copy of Roadhouse if they haven't seen it and they're a big fan of the show and uh, a good friend of mine. Yeah, we're, we're going to send the Roadhouse. But uh, we'll try to tailor it, uh, our pick to you. 
Um, if we don't know you well enough, maybe we'll uh, send you some questions and try to do a, our, our very own Netflix algorithm on you. I, I, th- I think we'll do better than, than the robots. And we will not sell your personal information to anybody. You're damn right. Not a chance. Nope. You can freaking count on it. Uh, if, if you don't have the space in your pocketbook to help us out, that's not a big deal. We're, we're totally okay. Even if, look, you probably do have the space for it, it's fine. It's okay. But if, if giving money is not in the, in the cards for you, the best way you can support the show, you don't need all the social media stuff. Just tell your friends. It's the only way we get new listeners is uh, by the current listeners talking about it and trying to spread the word. And that means the world to us. So, uh, you know, you're, you're our boots on the ground. Uh, go talk to people you like about movies and uh, point them in the direction of interesting uh, conversations and discussions they're on. Dustin, I did the job. The plant has been fed. Um, what are we doing now? I think it's time we play the game. Behind the game, I got game, she got game, we got game, they got game, he got game. It might feel good, it might sound a little something, but fuck the game if it ain't saying nothing. And we are back with our game. This week's game is inspired because Little Shop of Horrors was a 1960 original film uh, produced and directed by Roger Corman. It was something of a black comedy, not a musical, with a uh, role of an up-and-coming little actor called Jack Nicholson that was also... uh, a secondary supporting character called Wilbur Force. He's the Bill Murray character, I believe. Which is fun. Correct. Uh, so we get a little bit of that going on uh, in that, but we want to talk about movies that we'd like to see made as musicals. Well, that's right. This week's gay movies we'd like to see made as musicals brought to you by Little Shop of Whores. Dustin, explain the significance there. I did. Sorry, I stole your... No, you're fine. It's, it's honestly easier if we do it that way. Oh, okay. Well, I'm never going to do that again then. God damn you. <laughs> Yeah, respect my professionalism. I'll show you. <laughs> I love you. So, all right, Arthur, I'm going to you I first. I give and I give and I give to him, and all he does is spit back. That well, sorry, Arthur, go ahead. Uh, Do you have a pick? Uh, there's so much antagonism in the room right now. I'm scared <laughs> uh, for myself. Uh, well, I, I think the great thing I want to kind of preface this because musical really lives in its own reality. Kind of all this, as a musical itself, is anti-realist. Uh, and it also allows for that kind of interior monologue to come out, which we don't t- normally see in films. So I want to preface that because uh, my first two picks, both uh, in their source material, heavy, heavily rely on inner monologue to work. And so my first pick is actually The Hunger Games, um, which I think could have this really interesting kind of folksy um, rock uh, musical background to it. And I think you could do some fun stuff with that and production pieces as well. And it would add an interesting element to the narrative in, in being able to do that and be able to express a lot of those inner feelings in a way that a straightforward narrative can't. Um, and so I think it'd be kind of fun to kind of see that all play out and you could do a lot of those, you know, the kind of adventure song and what do I want song and all that kind of stuff uh, within that world. And I think it could uh, develop into something, somewhat interesting uh if if put together right with the right music and i think kind of uh it it has this kind of film when they did the soundtrack uh, for the first film it had that kind of folksy uh rock thing going and i think that could drive that narrative quite a bit and i think it will work well i like that pick a lot thank you very much for that mr arthur gordon mr dalton stewart what is your first pick uh my first pick on deck uh i i I thought okay well we gotta do a teen high school movie right i mean that's just such uh, a ripe field for uh, adaptation. If we're we're talking about we're we're gonna turn something into a musical, uh, and you got to have something that's got a little bit of a cult appeal, a little bit of kind of a weirder sensibility. Um, and Heather's was too obvious. I, and honestly, we've been talking about it a lot lately. Um, it's not the right time for it, especially with that dog shit awful uh, TV show that apparently we might not ever see now. Um, 
Not but uh, the, the, pilot, the, the pilot was very poorly received. Um, yeah, it probably is for the best. So where do we go instead? Well, we're going to – we look, we don't need nostalgia for the 80s. It's done. It's old hat. Um, let's look to Mean Girls. Let's look to the magical uh, world uh, of uh, Tina Fey's script uh, added, adapted from uh, Mean Girls, Queen Bees. I can't remember the name of the book. It was a nonfiction book about high school cliques. Uh, that obviously Tina Fey adapted into the narrative film uh, that uh, has quite the following and one uh, a movie we did on the show. Yeah, I uh, can imagine on Tuesdays we wear pink as a song. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's yeah, it's got so many it's good lines. There's, yeah. uh, I, I can picture Gretchen trying to make fetch happen being a song that never happens. I want that to be a thing though. Yeah, it's a song that Gretchen keeps trying to start and keeps getting. It just like, keeps getting canned. Yeah, cut off. Yeah, she's That's brilliant. Never allowed to sing uh, a sing about fetch. That's brilliant. Because it's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. It could totally work. Mm -hmm. So that is my first pick for a movie I'd like to see turned into a musical. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so my first pick is a movie that has had some stage adaptations as a musical, but I do want to see the cinematic treatment. And that is uh, the the name of the musical is Silence. It is the adaptation of Silence of the Lambs. I have seen it Mm -hmm. live. It is very fun. And uh, I I want it it rubs the lotion on its skin uh, with a big, big cinematic treatment. I think that would just be lots and lots of fun. And a good time would be had uh, by all. Have you guys ever seen the musical? I remember you talking about it. No, but yeah, I I remember when you and and your other half went and saw it. And uh, you said you guys had a wild time. It's so good. It is really, really fun. It's definitely up my alley. Yeah, yeah. It's really ridiculous. And just, yeah, I I think it's one of those things that's kind of a surprising uh, adaptation to be found. So there you go. First round. Round two. Number next pick. What do you say, Arthur? Uh, This one, uh, again, building off the inner monologue. But this is going to be a more traditional kind of dramatic. Broadway production, I think, and that's Mudbound, uh, which I think could lend itself Ooh, really to that musical yeah. An adaptation. Interesting choice. Yeah. Plus, we're never tired of talking about Mudbound. No, I, I'm gonna bring it up any chance I get now, uh, from now till eternity. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, you can do a lot of the same stuff. Uh, you can draw a lot from those kind of kind of hymns that Mary J. Blige kind of provides for the soundtrack as is, uh, but kind of see that stuff produced uh, in a bigger kind of way. And uh, again easily incorporates that monologue that really drives the inner monologue that really drives the narrative anyway. And I think, uh, we could see some fun set pieces and, uh, get some good mileage out of that. And And dramatic musical is a genre that gets forgotten about a lot. Uh, there's something to it. Yeah. Uh, so I'd like to see that. Excellent. I like that very much. Mr. Arthur Gordon, Mr. Dalton Stewart, your number next pick is, well, I tried to stay again in the vein of thinking about, Things that don't automatically seem like they should be a musical, right? Little Shop of Horrors, directed by Roger Corman, does not seem like an obvious place to go. So I was trying to think of even similarly less obvious places to go. Uh, And I kept coming back to a a film that already has kind of a musical sensibility. It already has a musical number, um, but it has a musical sensibility in that dialogue is very unimportant in this film. Because uh, the, the feelings are too big for the spoken word, and maybe for the sung word, it could work. That's right, we are going to find yet another reason to talk about Eraserhead, even though we just did an episode about it. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah, David Lynch's Eraserhead the Musical. I would uh, watch that. Which David Lynch would have nothing to do with, but the title would be David Lynch's Eraserhead the Musical. And there's just a bunch of, a chorus line of alien babies just kicking mm-hmm. around on stage well yeah i thought about where well, let's get some more puppets up in here let's and get a, the lady in the radiator so that translates exactly yeah, there's yeah. already a musical number yeah. um and i think with you take that weird hum and you make it weird music and uh, I, I think there is something 
there. It would be an off 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 Broadway probably. Um, but yeah, I, I think it'd be a lot of fun. It'd be very far from Broadway. Yeah, huh? <laughs> I mean, off. I think is the uh, key adjective. <laughs> off, off, it, off. It's, it's just an off musical. <laughs> yeah. So, but and again, I think off musicals are where you get things like right. Little Shop of Horrors. So that's uh, that's something. Excellent. And, and silence, for that matter. True, true. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton. Now, I didn't do any research. I've never seen a film version of this. If there has been a uh, stage adaptation, I don't know about it. And so I'm, I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys or from the dear listener. This is one of those films that is a period drama, that it's a love story, that it's got comedy bits. There's all kinds of potential for this thing to be made into a musical. It's uh, got a bar setting in which uh, there is music that is played. And so it, I, I just really just the full out, you know, go all the way in musical treatment. I don't know why it hasn't happened yet for Casablanca. Why do we not have? Yes, please. Yeah, just a full out. I mean, we're just we're going hard yeah. in the paint uh, regarding the musical aspects of that. And man, so much. Fun. I'm there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm just thinking. Everybody eats at Rick's is a song. Um, <laughs> obviously, you know, Sam's songs. You know, uh, Knock on Wood and yeah. uh, You Must Remember This are going to be big parts of it as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I want I want to have Peter Peter Laurie's song. Beautiful friends will be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is that. This looks like a beautiful friendship. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's so many great possibilities yeah. uh, with it, and it lends itself to that sort of sentimentality, uh, that nostalgia, that schmaltz. All the gin joints in all the world. Oh, That's man. a song. Yes, I am there. Yeah, one hundred percent there. And so uh, I very badly want uh, Casablanca, the musical, for my number next pick. So your number last pick, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? Here come the men in black, the musical. Oh, my God. That Give it to me. so much fun. Oh, my God. Give it to me now. Uh, oh, yeah. Let's make that movie starring Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson uh, a damn musical Make now. it happen, Sony or whoever. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it sets itself up perfectly. That kind of – that comedy, I think, translate can translate. I think there are two that kind of work within similar rules as far as genre. And I think Men in Black would, would have it in, you know, the introduction to – uh, the alien world gets a big number, you know, uh, the kind of last sequence with the worm gets a big musical number. I think uh, it would just be bonkers and weird, uh, like Little Shop of Horrors, but I think it would be a blast and fun and crazy and a good time. What do you think about uh, casting for Will Smith's role? I'm thinking John Legend. I would keep Will Smith. You think you keep Will and then go go hard hip hop yeah. with it? Oh, so it's a straight up remake. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm yeah, there. I really like it. I'm who's, okay with who's, that. I, I, I think know. you'd have to recast Tommy Lee Jones. I think you have to get somebody in there. Yeah. That could carry that in because I don't know that he does music at all. But I, I kind of like the idea of a Tommy Lee Jones character still still very much an Agent K. Yeah. I don't, what kind of songs would Agent K sing? Oh. Elvis. Mm, yeah, he has his Elvis number. Yeah, lots. Of he's Elvis. got an Elvis number, and probably like a surprising, like a real heartstring plucker at some yeah. point. Oh yeah, because yeah, he's got the what, yeah. coma thing or whatever. The the, the wife he had to yeah. leave behind. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a flashback sequence. It's, yeah. yeah. Oh look, you brought that strange man flowers. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah. all right, I like that a lot. Okay, well, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? What is your number last pick? So I called an audible. I, I definitely wanted uh, to go ahead and dip my toes into 80s camp. Uh, again, trying to find lost films, much like uh, this musical did for Little Shop of Horrors. And at first I was thinking about Clive Barker's Nightbreed, right? I think it's got the oh my a goodness. lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew Dustin would like it, so that's why nice. I wanted to mention it. But look, I've got to be true to myself. So I called an audible. When the Bargain Bin Blu-ray for Keith and came up, I was like, wait a second. Hold on. 
small towns are perfect for musicals. Yeah. Think about it. You got the Music Man. You got Footloose. Small towns thrive on musicals. Yeah, they do. Because you've got clear-cut villains, the, the, the money trying to take over the town. You've got a, a central location that's the heart of the town. And baby, that's the double deuce. Roadhouse, the musical. Uh, look, i got to stay on brand. Uh, I want to see this movie real bad. As Roadhouse stands now, you could put musical numbers in it, uh-huh. and it would still make sense. Yeah, it 100%. would not be out of place. Yeah, and it's already got some it's musical numbers, up. kind of. Yeah, uh, I, I'm there. I'm. It's for already it. structured as a musical. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. It works. Uh, I almost thought you were going to say The Lost Boys uh, for a second. Now that would be amazing as well. Yeah, yeah. That'd be fun. That would also be amazing. Yeah, be a good time. Uh, thank you, Arthur. Mm-hmm. That also is a great idea. Dustin, take us home. What is your last selection? So I'm thinking something on the scale of massiveness, like a Les Mis, like a, okay. a you know, sort of Jesus Christ superstar, yeah. big Broadway production of a big Hollywood property. And I'm, I, I'm just what, – what got me really thinking about this was just thinking about the opening line of the film and how it would be a great opening number. Ever since I was a kid, I've always wanted to be a gangster. Oh Goodfellas, my... the musical. Damn lord. Yeah. 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 Uh, and it's got a great soundtrack anyway, yes, which kind of drives that. Yeah. yeah. You can play with some yeah. of that stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, all that great 50 stuff, yep. all that sort of, you know, moving on into the 60s, you've got some time warp yeah. that you can do with it. And, uh, yeah, you got to stir the sauce and uh, check for helicopters. <laughs> and, yeah, it's already four hours long, right. just like all musicals. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I would like to see Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas the musical. Um, I think that would be good times for everybody. Yep. So uh, there you go, dear listener. That was a really fun game. That and, was a hoot. Yeah. And I would be interested to know your own selections uh, for possible musicals you'd like to see made of uh, popular or maybe not so popular Hollywood films. You can do that via those magical means of social media. Already mentioned at the top of the show. But now, friends, it is time to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh. That's right, dear listener. And we are back to bring you some spicy analysis uh, to go with your greens uh, as we talk about Little Shop of Horrors. So, um, lots going on here uh, with this movie. I There's lots going on over here. Me and Arthur I, uh, started playing footsies for yeah. a second. We were, we were tapping our toes together. Yeah, and but... I felt very less. Sorry. Suddenly, yeah, what did we... Dalton. Suddenly, Dalton. <laughs> There's going to be so much singing on this marathon. Uh, hey, we've got this we, far we, without we, a song. Damn, so Arthur, we just invited a lot of listener fanfic that I'm not comfortable with. <laughs> They're going to be shipping us. You were a married, They're shipping you us out a married man. I am engaged. <laughs> Not cannot ship it's the that. love that should not speak its name. <laughs> I'm just going to say you cannot ship that which has already been delivered, and I'm going to move <laughs> right along. Just uh, ship me up to, to Boston, Arthur. Uh, oh man, take me with Will. you. We'll do it. So anyway, what are you doing over there, Dustin? I want to talk about this movie. Uh, okay, is, is what I kind of wanted to do. We we had Let's... our own thing going on over here. <laughs> Well, let's set the stage. Let's talk a little bit about Corman's original. Okay, I, I, I watched that, and I think uh, I think it's interesting to bring it up. Some of the what pulls from that and what it doesn't, you know. Um, as you said, 1960. It's it's a quick turnaround. Uh, Corman's trying to finish it before the end of 1959. Oh, it's uh, cheap too because yeah. of some regulations and paying actors for royalties or something. I don't know the whole story. Uh, but yeah, it's it's done in like three or four days. Like it's a real quick wow. production. Um, that they put this together. What's the plant look like in the original? Um, 
kind of not as good as this. I mean, yeah. it's a puppet, but it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't look terrible for the time. I guess yeah. for the budget. I mean, it looks pretty decent. It's but, a cheap version of this guy, though. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is. Um, but m- most of the same cast, and you know, we've got Audrey, we've got Mr. Mushnick, I believe is his name, mm-hmm. the shopkeeper. We've got uh, Seymour, obviously. Uh, one of the big things there is Seymour's hypochondriac, overly uh, stereotypical Jewish mother, um, who's kind of you know overbearing in the traditional Jewish mother way mm. uh, that we're familiar with in popular narrative. Uh, so that's a character that's there. It's set in L.A. Uh, one of the big things is some girls from the high school are trying to buy flowers from the shop after the popularity of Audrey II. Uh, I believe it's Audrey Jr. in that one mm-hmm. um, for the Rose Bowl. And they're going to put Audrey uh, Jr. in the Rose Bowl. Like, there's a whole thing there. Oh, wow. Right. Okay. Uh, but uh, so that's the way that plays. Um, the dentist is a character, but he's not in the same capacity. He's just a client of the shop mm. who buys weekly flowers uh, from them. But he, he is, is still a, a little sadistic, but not not nearly not to the Steve Martin level. Steve Martin and I don't level. think he's dating Audrey in that one as well. No, and Audrey's so. a lot ditzier mm-hmm. uh, in many ways. Um, so those those are kind of the main characteristics. And the ending of that is they're going to give Seymour an award uh, for raising this plant. Uh, for his craft and creating this plant. It's a blue ribbon at the county fair. Yeah, and uh, they're going to give it to him on a specific day when uh, the buds on Audrey Jr. are going to bud. They're going to bloom. And uh, once that uh, happens, once those buds bloom, we see all of the victims uh, in the in the different blooms. We see their faces in the blooms of all the victims that Audrey's eaten throughout huh. the film. Huh. And that's kind of where it ends. The cops get him and all that. Or the plant actually winds up eating him after the cops chase him. Um, so Seymour falls prey to that. Huh. There. Uh, Much higher body count. Yeah. So, interesting. Yeah. So that's 1960. You know, that's what they've put in the film there. And then 1982, we've got the stage adaptation for this film. Or for the, the yep. stage adaptation of the original film, which is Little Shop of Horrors uh, by... Uh, Mankin and Ashman, they do the music for that. Uh, runs for a couple of years. And Starring Ellen Green, just Ellen like Green, yeah. the film, yeah. Uh, and then uh, it becomes a film in 1986, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scorsese was rumored to originally be attached. That wouldn't work out. And so we get Frank Oz putting this together. Um, some you know differences to the original movie. I think they add in Big Green Mother. Uh, f- that's not, I don't think, in the original production so they add that for the film itself they add the bill murray character so yeah, yeah. They, they do add some things to the musical yeah. i had read that as well um and uh, i assume you're about to talk about uh, the test the audience. ending yeah. yeah so they have the original ending which r- reflects the uh stage ending uh, yes wherein uh audrey winds up audrey female audrey winds up dying yeah um it plays out that. pretty similarly until seymour tries to rescue audrey from yeah. audrey too uh, and, and in that, I, I believe I was listening to the the Broadway soundtrack of ah, this, okay. and uh, she tries, I think, to convince um, Seymour to go ahead and once she realizes she's dying, to go ahead and feed her to Audrey too, so that she'll always be a part of his life in that way. Uh, and then, of mm. course, Audrey too go goes ahead and takes over the world essentially and yeah. eats everybody and grows out of the building and takes over the world. And I think there are additional buds being sold off so that more Audrey twos can be uh, around and taking over the world. And that did not go over well. The audience didn't like that for some reason. Yeah, Uh, did not go over well. And so we get this more romanticized version of the ending where they are able to save the day and Seymour and Audrey go off to live the American dream where everything is green. 
though there is a slight darkness to the ending in so much as there is that little Audrey 3, I guess at this point, bud, that is growing there in the uh, white picket fence. Yeah. But yeah, it is uh, much more uh, sentimental, much more standard for romantic kind of ending. So I, I think a lot of the kind of the thematic things that are problematic that we alluded to in our reviews, the misogyny, the abuse, maybe some racial uh, overtones that we want to talk about really, I think, get added in at least at the musical development stage mm-hmm. uh, and then into the film itself from there. Uh, you know, I don't think as much of that is in Corman's original um, outside of some of the just, I think, the Jewish stereotypes, which are pretty uh, prevalent. Which there. were gotten rid of. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they're still slightly there, I think, with the Moranis' character and with Mr. Mushnick, but not to the over-the-top yeah. level of Corman's original. So yeah, there. I, I, that, I think that frames the narrative pretty well, and the, we've we sort of uh, now, um, you know, given ourselves over to the spoilers. Uh, we can now begin to break down some of the things. And I guess the first thing is: is abuse a good joke? Uh, I'm going to go with no. Yeah, no, not mm. not a great one. Uh, ooh, yeah, much much too much of a laugh is had about uh, him all but launching her off this motorcycle and then like berating her for falling off, and it's. It's not cool. Yeah, it's yeah. very unpleasant. Boys are supposed to give you flowers, not contusions. I'm like, are you serious? Hey, Mushnick, f- chill the fuck out. Yeah. Uh, and I think it introduces a very interesting question because it seems like the film is trying to find ways for Seymour to keep his hands clean. Not only is this guy a complete and utterly terrible person, uh, Seymour doesn't even kill him. He accidentally kills himself uh, overdosing on nitrous oxide. Yeah. Um, so it keeps trying to keep Seymour's hands clean, but that's not cool. Screenplay. Uh, no. Don't beat up Audrey just to give Seymour a, a nice uh, target. Yeah. You know, that's that's gross, man. Uh, but it also, again, introduces some potential ideas. And I was wondering if the film was going to go this way, and I was kind of disappointed when it didn't. Um, it introduces this idea. Well, Seymour's not really a good guy. If he actually cared about Audrey, no. he wouldn't have just, like, murdered her boyfriend. He would have tried to, like, you know, talk to this person he supposedly cares about and figure out a way to, like, help her take care of her own self. Like, you, nobody needs you to show up and save the day, bro. Like, maybe just be a better friend. Right. Well, the yeah. better movie empowers Audrey exactly. rather than simply has a different man step in and do the stuff for her that she cannot do. Correct. She feeds the dentist to Audrey too, and I am much more impressed. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. there, there, because there, there's potential for um, a, a much more nuanced interplay between Audrey Seymour and Audrey too, for sure. Uh, yeah, no, it's not cute, uh, and it really hurts the film. Um, it makes Steve Martin's musical number not be as fun, because that's a fun number with a gross inside of a mouth puppet uh, that we haven't talked about. That's, that's wild. It ends with uh, the... The Bill Murray gag. Um, it's it's great. It's a yeah. hoot. But then there's all this other stuff that kind of really strips I- any enjoyment out of out of those uh, segments. Yeah, it, it, it's really tonally confused throughout there because I think Steve Martin's character, the way he's played, and the way it's performed, and the music, he's kind of fun and cool, and he's not supposed to be, and it's kind of hard to. I mean, he's wrestle be, with that. He's supposed to be bad. For yeah, sure. he's not a good person. Anyway, there's no redeeming quality to this guy whatsoever, mm-hmm. but the way he's presented is kind of fun. And it just is weird 
and the way that kind of plays out, I think. Um, and so, and, and there's a realm to do this. I mean, yeah, all three of us kind of like the uh, the Marjan Shatrapi film, uh, The Voices, with Ryan Reynolds, which yeah. I think uh, does some interesting things with this idea of a, a decidedly troubled and potentially very bad person who's yeah. got this kind of musical outlook. Like, yeah, I mean that that can be done. Uh, I, I think you can stay within the realm of the musical, right? The songs as the the inner hearts of the people singing them. That's kind of the musical theory, right? I think you can still have that song with Steve Martin's character, but making him that bad makes his number being that fun really problematic and weird. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that that does try. I do love Steve Martin's sort of uh, Elvis impersonation yeah. that he's doing throughout though. I mean, yeah. it's and, very good. And to do that as well, a yeah. heel is is yeah. kind of fun. Yeah. It's it, it, then that's the thing. Yeah. It's a fun character that we don't get to have fun with because right. it, it does that cuz the character does some things that are just not as cute as this movie is. Yeah. And so that that's where that well, we were talking earlier about it being tonally sort of off and that's where tone kind of misses because it is, you know, deadly serious sort of stuff that we're dealing with there. Um something that I I think is totally on point and quite funny is the interplay between the sadist and the masochist uh, with uh, his character. And we have to talk about the Bill Murray scene. I think the Bill Murray scene itself is just so much fun. It's great. No. Yeah. And, and it is one of the moments that undercuts that and it just doesn't undercut it as well as it thinks it does. Right. I think. Uh, but yeah, Bill Murray is this willing uh, masochist who frequently finds dentists to uh, operate on him unnecessarily because he loves getting that mouth work done. And yeah, Bill Murray's uh, very, very sexualized masochist is a ton of fun. It's really butting up really against funny. this um, the serial sadist. I mean, look, Steve Martin's a bad day. His character's a bad. Let's not say Steve Martin. Steve Martin's character is a bad day away from becoming a serial killer. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> almost the implication we get. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, he oh, yeah. loves hurting people. Yeah. Um. So yeah, having Bill Murray show up and just oh, cannot wait for that deep root canal is is really good. <laughs> He wants the root canal. Yeah. And, well, I mean, it does show that uh, that sort of standing joke, right? Uh, when the mascus meets the sadist, the mascus says, hurt me, and the sadist says no, right? Because that's that's sort of the point of yeah. what's going on there. And, and uh, I mean, you know, I just – I found that to be interesting. I did find that, like, highly orgasmic performance uh, yeah. from Bill Murray to be just really, really hilarious. And, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and it does sort of prevent the uh, sort of possible happy ending, I think, for a little bit for uh, Steve Martin's character because there's no way he's going to be able to pair off with somebody that you know they could have something. Because anybody who's into it, he's not into it. Because yeah. as Arthur mentioned off mic, this guy's not a guy who's about consent. No. And uh, so, yeah, really, really dark villain uh, that we're dealing with. Yeah, there. look, if that's some play you're into in your personal life, there's a lot of rules and stuff that are in place. Right. Yeah, you don't get to just stick a drill in somebody's face. No. That's no. Not, yeah, that's not how it works. Also, you know, medical stuff. But, oh, man, just that's not right. Anyway, uh, moving right along, though, let's talk about race. Um, there's not very many black characters, and the main one is Audrey too. At least it's voiced uh, for Audrey too, And that seems to be something of a problem. We do have additional African-American characters. We do have our chorus line, yeah. uh, Crystal, Chiffon, and Ronette. Um, I think those are pretty... Uh, well, I mean, Ronnie and the Ronettes. I mean, that's, they're all named yeah. for different... Yeah. yeah they yeah. were intentionally named for different yeah, doo-wop groups of the 50s. But I, I think where the, groups. these things become an issue, right? It's There is not a problem. And I'm trying to get his name, the, the voice actor for... Uh, he was one of the singers from the Four Tops. Yeah. I remember that much. And I'm trying to get 
his name uh, so we can uh, you know, get that information out there for everybody. But I am struggling with Levi this Stubbs. Ah, oh, there you go. Thank you, Arthur. Levi Stubbs as Audrey too. It's he's amazing. His performance is really great. solid. Yeah. The scripting, and I think this is what we were talking about as we were getting ready to to record and kind of organizing our thoughts. It's not a problem that Levi Stubbs is the voice of Audrey too. It, it's that the villainy of Audrey too is coded as very black. Yes. In a way that is kind of gross, right? Uh, he he is presented as this kind of smooth-talking devil, almost, that's going to mm-hmm. give Seymour all of his uh, his heart's wishes, uh, his his heart's wishes at the expense of everyone else. And it's kind of weird. Uh, I, I don't know. If, and it's that one song in particular. Um, I, I don't know. Dustin, would you, you want to crack that open? I, I'm scared of this. I, I think it's... It sucks. Yeah, it does suck. It's it's hyper racist, and because here's what it is: the alien speaks hyper jive and wants to devour everyone. The culmination of which being the de- devouring of a white woman. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it's King Kong all over again, guys. Uh, that and this is why you have to be careful when yeah. you make a movie. Mm-hmm. This is why you have to be careful because look, I don't think anybody involved in this production is a bad person uh, i'm not no. more, i don't think and i want to make it clear we're not saying that if if this is the first time you've listened to an episode where we're getting into filmmakers saying things on accident i want to be clear we, we're not saying anybody here is bad but the optics are sure shit not good mm-hmm. yeah and, and i mean that that's really what it comes down to is that it is the way in which he communicates his villainy i mean it, it, the, the fact is his dialogue is jive and uh, it's it, it because it is the mode of his communication of his villainy. The way in which his villainy is revealed is when he begins to speak, and so his ability to speak and speak again in a sort of foreign cadence, an alien cadence that is again going to be an infesting sort of influence into society. All of that uh, just repeats sort of white supremacist standard kind of racist, uh, you know, uh, propaganda, and uh, it perpetuates that as a story, and it makes it really, really troubling. Which is why you got to be, you know, careful when you write dialogue. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I mean, I get casting. I mean, I, if Levi Stubbs is like, I would like this role. I'm like, oh, I want you to have this. He's so good. You know, I mean, yeah. so fucking good in this movie. But then you have to say, wait a minute. Now we have an issue. We yep. need to make a way around that. So what do we do? You know, yep. we we got to retinker some of these songs. Well, we recast Seymour, or we, we I mean, any number yep. of things. You yep. know, um, you know, and 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 try to make it work in a way that it avoids that kind of madness. Yeah. No this this movie is really interesting. If Seymour is black and uh, Audrey too has a real white voice. Oh, now man. that's some interesting shit. Rick Moranis as Seymour. I, I was trying to no, think as who, Seymour, excuse me, as Audrey too. Who, who I'm trying to think of the kind of character I, I'm looking for for uh, if Audrey too is a white guy. Uh, he's probably got some. He's probably got the Elvis song, maybe, or maybe uh, I don't know. Mm. Or you got the Jeremy Irons type, and he's yeah. very Ooh. eloquent. You know, Scarlight, sort of an yeah. Anthony Hopkins, yeah. yeah, yeah, maniacal, or yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't think of it. cerebral. Uh, yeah, a, a, a real um, oh god, what's that? Uh, needful things. Yeah, yeah, a, a, a real um, uh, Louis P. Fur. 
or I don't know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. something like that. And I just want to highlight this: the way in which the conversation is racialized, even as we're talking about that, right? And so we have, you know, the African American villain is going to be uh, very, very embodied, very, very sexualized. Again, very, very hip and that kind of stuff. And what is the white villain? The white villain is the cerebral villain. You know, I mean, just the very discourse itself surrounding that kind yeah, of stuff. You're absolutely right. You know, uh, you know, sort of feeds into that. You know, fundamental kind of racism, and so it, 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 it when we when we make this criticism of the film, I realize, and again, I'm with Dalton. I don't think anybody did this on purpose, yeah. but this is just how sort of intrinsic that kind of conversation becomes. You're very, you're, you're very right. You are absolutely correct. Yeah, and we have to take the film as it is, and I yes. want to acknowledge that because you know we could we could talk about director's cuts, we can talk about all that stuff, but that's not what the final product was. You're this is what right. the final product was. Uh, but I, I, I do wonder, you know, how much of that had to be kind of – I wonder how much of that may of or may not have been resolved with a with the alternate ending and with that more elaborate, mm-hmm. drawn-out ending. And, and, you know, we can't really take that into account for what we get. Um, but I think that may, you know, ch- have changed some things. Uh, we might have had a different conversation about that. Um, and I think we would have got a lot more about capitalism because Belushi's character shows up and it's kind of a nod to – uh, the angle that they go with the musical, I believe, where they you know want to wind up selling additional buds. You know, in the movie, they they change it so that Moranis is like, no, we can't do that. We've got to stop this. Uh, but I think that kind of becomes a thing in the musical itself, where they go with that plan of of monetizing Audrey too, uh, and bringing capitalism into it. I think is a lot more interesting, especially in in, in a lot of thematic because I think, as Dalton mentioned, you know, setting in the fifties and sixties. Uh, is setting it up for satire of, of that very conservative American dream era. And I think this is wanting to kind of poke holes at that and kind of poke fun at that in much of the same way I think Back to the Future does uh, when we look back at, you know, the good old days, quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think it's wanting to engage with that some, and I don't think it quite works that way. I don't think it plays out quite that way. And I think it's that's why it introduces these elements. Yeah. Why it introduces the idea of villainized blackness. Why it introduces the ideas of, you know, out and out physical yeah. abuse and yeah. in interpersonal relationships. Uh it's trying to say something yeah. about these times that are much darker than we like to pretend yeah. they were, right? I mean, the best life Audrey can comprehend or can imagine is one yeah. that involves buying things uh, that she sees in Better Home and Gardens, yeah. right? This right. idea that we're selling people their dreams so they will continue to wallow yeah. uh, in, in their conditions. You're right. I mean, there's some really interesting things there, yeah. uh, and I think that's probably why the film introduces these ideas. But well, yeah. it just, yeah, they don't really connect. Yeah. Well, as a film that was uh, adapted from a musical that originally played in the WPA theater, you know, it is interesting that it does have a real kind of class consciousness going on with it. That we're talking about Skid Row and how everybody wants to get out. And again, that sort of false consciousness that to achieve the middle class sort of dream, that's the way out for Audrey. That's that's her green world that she wants to be part of. Green being a very, very interesting choice of color. Yeah. Not just because it's a plant that's a villain, but also because the color of money. Yeah. Uh, but when she wants that father's nose best kind of life, they do name drop uh, that particular line and they have the separate twin beds in the uh, master bedroom you see it's fakeness you see yeah. it's uh you 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 see how how very shallow that is as a dream and uh, it is interesting because 
uh, this does sort of begin to make part of that argument. I mean, this is one of the things that I think the film does well is to say, no, what we don't want to do is necessarily raise people up from the lower classes to the middle class. We have to sort of abolish class structure and it's at its very root, the, yeah. the, which is, yeah. again, a, a horticultural metaphor. Yeah, because even with the super mega happy ending, we get this idea that even in this dream reality, there is still this darkness lurking in the bushes, right? right. The, yeah. the Audrey 3 is still out there. We have not solved anything. Uh, and you're right. I mean, that is something interesting uh, that the film does manage to do despite these other issues that it has. So, yeah, I, I wanted to say something laudable about it thematically. Yeah. And it, and I mean, yeah, I, you're right, because there are interesting things happening here, yeah. for sure. I think it was really heading towards that, but I think, you know, due to, you know, production reasons, it kind of you know, cuts its feet out from under it and, you know, it, it suffers for that. Um, and, and so I, I, I would have liked to have seen it. If, I'd, I'd really like to go see the actual production as well. I want to see yeah. how that looks and what that plays like um, uh, because it, it's great music. And I think it is, it's a fun story. It's, it's, it's really fun to take this type of concept and put it to music. Like it's, it's this kind of outside the box thinking that I appreciate with this kind of Absolutely. high concept musical. Yeah. If, if we're going to keep recycling stories from the past, the least we can do is try to really revamp them and do yeah. weird and interesting things with them. Uh, one one other thing I want to bring up, and Dustin maybe will speak to this some with some psychoanalysis because I kept thinking of Audrey Two as the id. Oh yeah, there's a little and bit of that there, what, right? And that's what you know, you know every you know, and for the most part, and until the end, uh, Seymour's really the only person that interacts with Audrey Two and can hear it or see it. You know, see, I mean, other people can when they're mm-hmm. in the room, but uh, that's kind of forsaken for the most part, uh, unless it serves a story. Um, but everything that Audrey too is speaking to those very innate animalistic urges for Seymour to go out and act, you know, to be rich and to get the girl and to do those things that he wants at the back of his mind. And that I actually I thought about that too, Arthur, when Dustin brought up just the very way we we talk about villainy uh, and the racial coding of villainy and how that gets expressed in fiction a lot. I thought about okay, you're right, Dustin. What is a, a more interesting route for that to take? And I immediately pictured uh, Sam Rockwell in the Green Mile, that kind of character, yeah, right? yeah that yeah. kind of that kind of real scuzzy. Uh, huckster who mm-hmm. who uh, is willing to do and hurt and say anything to accomplish an end goal that's got a real kind of uh, gross charisma to right. it, right? That kind of that skeezy charisma is probably more interesting and, and avoid some of those problems we were talking about. But that was the first time I thought about it. That's right. That character is most interesting, not as this kind of. Uh, tempter, but as this expression of the id more so than a tempter, right? Right, I think so. And I mean, when, a, a, well, a tempter as defined by the id idea, right? And I think you know, within Freud's sort of framework, you do find two different types of villainy that way. I mean, you do find the sort of uh, the least orderly, the most instinctual, which is the id-driven sort of villain, and then you find the most orderly, the most you know, uh, Old Testament God kind of versions of that, which is like Javier Bardem's character in uh, No Country for Old. Yeah, uh, to to keep it from being sort of you know racialized in that way, and then that that is, is sort of the law of chance and the law of these reasons, and uh, how however that ends up play, finding itself being played out. It's your jokers versus your two faces, right? Yeah. And uh, so those, yeah, I, and I think absolutely there is a sort of libidinal kind yeah, of part of what's going on because uh, Seymour's very repressed. It's it's human villainy versus universal villainy, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, people doing bad things because of bad impulses versus the universe doing bad things because of random chance, right? And order and just the nature of 
the way our molecules slam into each other and have bad shit happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, very good. Very, very interesting. I'd like bringing the Freud in whenever we can. So uh, is there anything else we're just desperate to talk about? Well, let's move on then and uh, render a verdict concerning uh, Little Shop of Horrors, Shell for Trash as else or instead. I go to you first, Dalton. What do you say? Shell for Trash, else or instead. Yeah, it's it's trash. I don't think for for me when I I try to think about this, I really I feel like when we're shelving something, we're saying it's at the very least personal canon worthy, right? We're we're not saying it's part of the film canon. We're saying it's part. It should be part of consideration in your personal canon. And I I don't think it's I don't think it's quite there. You know, if you had early exposure to this movie uh, and it really connected with you, like it was the first kind of weird musical you saw, I can absolutely see this resonating with with a viewer much more than it does with me. Uh, it's just not for me, though. Um, it's fine. I like it a lot. I'm not mad about it. I'm with Dustin. I would watch it again, but I don't I don't feel like I need to own it by any stretch of the imagination. It's not a must-see uh, in any regard. So what should you watch instead? Um, I honestly, I, I struggled. I, I wanted to try and frame another Frank Oz movie, but I realized I had never seen another Frank Oz movie all the way through. But Death I have, at a Funeral? No, I haven't even seen that. Oh, but I have man. seen bits and pieces of uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels with Steve Martin also and uh, Michael Caine. I, I, I haven't seen enough to fully recommend it, but I've seen enough to know that I'd like to see more. I, I, I watched it a few years ago, and I remember it being quite, quite a good time. Uh, Martin and Caine are just a good pairing. Now, uh, you, you you can't miss out on Ellen Green because she is great. So you should definitely check out Pushing Daisies, uh, the Brian Fuller series uh, starring Oklahoma's very own Lee Pace. Get oh, a buddy nice. uh, with uh, Vivian Green uh, as um, Aunt uh, Ellen Green. Sorry, as Aunt Vivian, uh, Vivian Charles, the uh, aunt to Chuck Charles. Um, what a wonderful television program. That's a blast. Yeah, I'm kind of glad it only went two seasons. Look, it, it sucks when things get uh, ended before their time, but they get to live perfectly forever that way. And that's definitely a show, uh, especially with the casting, mm-hmm. uh, that could have truly lent itself to being a musical. It's uh, almost itself. a musical. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it plays with that, especially the kind of uh, anti-realist world that it operates in. Yeah, so I definitely think you're going to have a really, really great time with that. Um, I will say that there is uh, another kind of campy musical that also probably not going to be in my personal canon because I think the third act is just a slog. But um, if, if you do want something like that, I think probably a more essential one is going to be uh, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. I almost called it Little Rocky Horror Picture mm-hmm. Show. <laughs> Sorry. Rocky Set, Horror Picture Show. Set in late 70s Arkansas. <laughs> Little Rocky Horror. That's funny. Oh, boy. Uh, but look, I mean, that movie's a hoot. Mm-hmm. Y- you got your Tim Curry. You got your Susan Sarandon. You got your Meatloaf. You got your Ed Bagley. Like, mm, mm, what a fun movie. Uh, I mean, the first half hour of that is electric. Uh, it's just the, the end of that movie is boring. Pretty much everything after Touch Me is just ugh, nap time. And that's the point. I think most people have stopped paying attention in any given viewing of that film by the time it gets to that point. And uh, I think that's why we forget the end of the movie kind of sucks. But the start of it is great. And. And even the end of it is fun and interesting and has, like, really great implications. It's just not as exciting, honestly. The songs aren't as good, and it's not as well staged. But I think it's going to give you that essential kind of camp musical um, much more so than than this film. Uh, Finally, I I thought of what's what's another film that kind of has a similar tone that, I don't know, wrestles with a similar problems right how do we take serious subject matter and try and engage with it in a kind of weird 
horror comic ways. And I went with uh, Shaun of the Dead. I think Edgar Wright, obviously, with uh, his film Baby Driver, has a kind of a musical sensibility. I think the editing even of that early film, Shaun of the Dead, has a musical sensibility. And it takes war and uses it to engage with really interesting themes. Uh, being good to your partner. You know, when you're getting to that point in your life where it's time to get serious, like if you if you really care about somebody, how do you stop uh, being a child, how do you kind of grow and be a better person uh, for the people you care about? And how do you take care of your friends uh, at the same time as doing that? And I think it, it navigates those serious issues without kind of falling into the same pitfalls as Little Shop of Horrors. So those are going to be my uh, insteads. All right. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton, sir. What do you say, Arthur? Shelf or trash? Else or instead? I think I'm going to lightly place it on the shelf. I, I, I like the concept too much, and I, I love the music a lot. And, I mean, of course, I could just, you know, listen to the soundtrack. But uh, I, 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 I just love the concept. I think it's a fascinating story. And, and to mesh that with musical, I think, just works in, in, in certain ways. Uh, so I'd lightly put it on the shelf. Uh, and what else you should watch I would check out. Uh, I think you. I think of their early pairings uh, of Disney. I think Little Mermaid probably works best in yeah. conjunction with this. Um, you get some great music there. You know, Ursula's a blast, um, and it's a good movie. We got some great music there. And I think you would also uh, check out uh, one of the things I thought about uh, with the puppet of Audrey too, specifically in the vines, the way it grows. I thought a lot about uh, Jumanji. Uh, with Robin Williams. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, hey, that, have any of you seen the, the one with The Rock? I haven't. I really no. wanted to see it. It made so much damn money. It did. It, it I guess out of nowhere. We're missing something. Yeah, I, I definitely wanted to check it but out. But anyway, it's missing it. something. Our money. Yeah. Well, that's fair. That's fair. I, we can watch it at a later date. Mm-hmm. I will go, I would die on the front lines for The Rock. Uh, and he's so good, I'm man. Definitely wanted to check it out. I just didn't get around to it. He's good. He, he, he knows how to lead a movie. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean the the Robin Williams original is was that's a Joe Johnson film, right? Sounds right or Dante? I can't remember Jim Johnson. Not Jim Johnson I'll look no. it up while you're talking about why right, you so do good. that. Um, but Jumanji's just a good time, and we do some fun stuff with puppets and uh, kind of vines and stop motion mm-hmm. type stuff, and mm-hmm. it's just a blast. And Robin's great in that movie. Uh, finally, though, uh, if we're talk- it was Joe Johnson. Okay, yeah, yep. I said Jim Johnston, and he's the one that composed a lot of the theme music for uh, WWE for many, many years. You, were, uh, you still had the rock on the brain. Yeah, I did, I guess. Uh, but uh, finally, if we're going to talk about the kind of uh, the darkness in the bush, the you know what's going on in this kind of suburban myth, I would uh, – we've already name-dropped him once, uh, but I would say David Lynch's Blue Velvet. Ah, I'd nice, watch yeah. that in conjunction with this as well, I think. And um, you know, have yourself a little fun with those movies because I, I think they'd all highlight elements of one another to really uh, make this flare. All right. Thank you very much uh, for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I am going to say – Trash, I'm afraid. Um, just barely. Uh, so you're lightly shelving. I'm very lightly trash. Placing it in there like, gently like on gently top. Gently with some honor. That's right? kind of how mine was, too. Yeah. It's like, in its own trash bag. There's no You're having like, a refuse. service for it. Yeah. I respect that it probably means a lot to some people. Yeah. Yeah. And so I like it. But what else or what it, what, what instead uh, should you watch? Um, I think you should watch a VeggieTales episode. I think you should watch The Rumor Weed. Okay. Uh, which is uh, very much based on the uh, this film and its iconography. Dustin, this is it, – it, It's kind of hilarious. Dustin, this is the good trash genre cast, not the praise down. Yeah. Um, we don't – I've been hanging out with him boys so much. <laughs> Look, I got to say though, this is episode 260-something. I think that's – Maybe one of 
probably, if at max, the third time Dustin has ever recommended uh, explicitly Christian media. That's fair. Yeah. Which yeah. is kind of interesting. That's fair. So, yeah, anyway, uh, VeggieTales, the rumor weed, it's it's funny because it's got some Batmans for you and also a bit of a uh, little shop of horrors. That's so fun. it works out pretty good. That's, that's cute. And I'm thinking about another film in which uh, there's a character who works in a pet shop and they're in an abject poverty and they're trying to find a way to success and what the American dream may happen to be. It's set in the city of Philadelphia. I'm looking at Rocky. Uh, I think that would be an interesting instead to watch. Uh, and, you know, juxtaposition to this particular film, you know, wrestling with some different things um, in terms of puppetry and horror and the idea of the other and the idea of the system that's trying to break you down. I'm looking at some David Cronenberg, y'all, and I'm looking at I'm specifically I think I'm going to go with Naked Lunch. Um, I, I really thought hard about Videodrome, but I think Naked Lunch. I thought you were thinking about uh, what's the poop monster one? Poop the, the the slugs that look like turds. Oh, that's uh, shivers. Yeah, shivers. Uh, I kind of thought you were talking about shivers. No, for a shivers is good too. I mean, I like me some Cronenberg. I got really excited because I thought you were talking about it. Was the thing that it got me really pumped over here. Oh no, no, it would work though. I mean, but, uh, yeah. Uh, tell me, tell me about uh, Naked Lunch. Naked Lunch. Naked Lunch is the adaptation of the William Burroughs uh, sort of unknowable, unfilmable novel. This is in one of his Jeremy Iron team ups, right? Uh, Jeremy, no, uh, Peter um, uh, Robocop uh, Weller. Peter Whoa, Weller. Peter Weller. Yeah. Oh, okay. In this, yeah, and uh, it's it's a. You know, crazy beats generation sort of fifty set uh, crazy thing with these uh, very very sort of dealing with homosexual homoerotic kind of issues. It's dealing with issues of drug use and drug uh, uh, you know sort of culture, and also this idea of uh, the freedom of thought and how uh, different organizations are trying to hold all that free thought down. Hell yeah! And it's a uh, very surreal post surrealist madness, and uh, the puppets are crazy cool yeah very very crazy so yeah check out some naked lunch and uh, you'll have a very very good time uh with that don't go to a naked lunch because they'll probably arrest you um yes sir um were you about to wrap up i'm done yeah uh, i i, I want to do something and i think we should do this for the rest of the marathon uh but i think uh, i want to know what was your favorite musical number from who? From Little Shop. Now, do we need to retroactively go ahead and jump back and get those other ones that we missed, or we just want? No, let's just start here. Okay. Um, I gotta say, Suddenly Seymour is really good. Uh, it, it's probably either Suddenly Seymour or uh, Mean Green Mother. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that that's it for me. Uh, you know what? Um, as much as I don't like the character and as much as it's problematic, I do like our dentist song because it's good. Someday you'll be a dentist as a sting and a change in musical styles is just too stinking funny. It's, it's hysterical. It's, it, I mean, it's absolutely just the idea that his mother saw this little burgeoning sociopath and said, I guess you should be a dentist. Yeah, I, it's, it's really, really funny. Yeah. And so I, I, despite its problems, that's probably my favorite song. What about you, Arthur? I, I really go back and forth on Skid Row downtown and uh, suddenly Seymour. I I think both of those have a lot of emotion to them and uh, can connect out of context of the film. And I think that kind of helps those, you know, stand alone. Uh, And uh, I I, I like both of them. They both, they're great. They're Mm -hmm. well-constructed. Audrey gets a lot of work on both of them. And she's just, she kills it. She's so good. Seymour is such a great uh, highlight for her voice. And and Rick Moranis is too. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, he, his voice is definitely not as big. It doesn't fill up the room quite like uh, Ellen Greens does, but he, you know, he holds his own. Yeah. He he does great. 
So those would be my picks. But I, I think going forward, I, I want to be able to highlight what our favorite numbers are from these musicals. I think you are absolutely right. Uh, yeah, and now good... is as good a time as any to announce the next musical we're doing, Arthur. Yeah, because we're going to do one more movie. No, we're doing quite a few more, actually. I think we're just going to do one Dustin more Dustin is dead set on ending this, I think. No. Uh, but we keep dragging it Okay, back so in. what are we doing for the last show? Well, we're going to fast forward about two years. Uh, we're going to look at, we, we really debated on getting this director in here, and we tried to figure out the best way, because I was wanting to move in the 90s, and he only had one offering there, and we were kind of iffy on that one. But he did a seminal work in the 80s that is a musical classic, a cult classic, and that is 1988's John Waters' Hairspray with the uh, the debut of the great Ricky Lake. Hell yeah, dude. Um, and so we're going to be checking that we, out. We really struggled. We thought about doing the remake. And then we thought about doing um, Cry Baby. Cry Baby. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm glad this is the direction we went. Yeah. Uh, and so we're going to get to see this again. We get that kind of 50s, 60s camp thing. We're going to be playing a lot with that. Uh, and it'll be a good time. If you've got Filmstruck, I believe it is streaming over there. So you can check it out with us and uh, watch along as we play at home. And uh, have a good conversation about that because uh, finally we get to John Waters. Finally, yeah. I cannot believe it has It's been a happened. long time coming. It'll be a divine time, I believe. John Waters sits in this uh, – thank you for that, mm-hmm. Arthur. Uh, he sits in this weird nexus kind of right alongside Verhoeven, right, where he makes good trash. But his movies are kind of too good for the show because they are really kind of – pivotal in american cinema yeah. and they get talked about in film studies courses yeah. a lot for that reason and i'm sure this is definitely one that's kind of breaking our rules but it, it, it goes with the marathon i think marathon is where we can kind of bend those rules a little bit absolutely and we're gonna get to talk about the great fantastic john waters yeah and you're probably gonna have to talk about gold diggers at 39 before we get to talk about hairspray in a film studies course we're gonna let you skip to hairspray yes indeed we are and we're gonna just keep on doing what we've been doing so take a look at little shop of horrors take a look at hairspray and have a conversation with somebody that you care about that's what makes this so worthwhile you keep watching we'll keep talking we'll see you all next time Thank you for tuning in to the Good Trash Genrecast, a product of Good Trash Media. For more Good Trash content, head over to GoodTrashMedia.com. Our intro this week is an original composition by friend of the show, Aaron Rodgers. And our outro this week is the titular Little Shop of Horror, 